welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Well, that anthem is called Wake Up, and it got me woken up. Yeah, had Boonha on percussion, Otto was belting out a solo, and I was about to dance. So I don't know what you guys were feeling, but what a great, great time. Thank you all for leading us in worship this morning. Yeah, there's a country music star named Travis Tritt, and he revealed a secret about his early years playing in dive bars to, to rowdy crowds where brawls would often break out. He said, just when things started getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for pool cues and rednecks were heading for the gun rack, I'd start playing Silent Night. It could be in the middle of July. And Tritt said as he played, grown men would stop everything and calm down. Sometimes they'd even start crying, he said, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. Let me ask you, what's your favorite Christmas carol? You know, if you took a survey, recent one show that the top three are Silent Night, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, and O Come all ye faithful. Maybe one of your favorites is in that top three. I just want you to notice my last name, Ye, is in two of the top three <laughs> that I just mentioned. Now, I don't know what the world's favorite Christmas carol is, but I do know the world's first. It's Mary's Magnificat that we just heard read. Prior to this song of Mary, the angel Gabriel had come to Zechariah the priest and announced to Zechariah, you're going to have a child in your young age, you're, you and your wife Elizabeth, and this child will be a special child, a, a messenger. And Elizabeth carried John the Baptist in her belly. And then Gabriel appears to, to Mary sometime later and announces to her that a blessing is coming upon you, Mary, that the Lord is going to overshadow you and you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And what we see happens is that Mary, I believe it says in her sixth month, and Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and their cousins, Mary and Elizabeth. And as they meet, as I mentioned last week, John the Baptist or baptizer in Elizabeth's belly leaps for joy upon meeting the unborn Jesus in Mary's belly. And now here we have Mary's song. This is her response to all of this wonderful reality. Now, to give you a little more context, Mary is probably a young teenager in this story, which terrifies me because I am the father of a soon-to-be young teenager. She's probably, very likely, from a very poor family. She's not yet married, yet she is pregnant. I mean, if you think that's bad news in conservative parts of America, it's really bad news in the very, 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 very conservative parts of the Middle East, even today. And yet somehow amidst her troubles, she finds solace in the Spirit's affirmation that God will be with her through all of this. So I want to try to cover four things today. And I'll forewarn you again, as we've been doing, we're going to be back and forth between Isaiah and Luke's gospel. And the four things I want to take a look at 
and see how the Lord speaks to us, is how Isaiah's words, we're going to look particularly at Isaiah 61, how those words connect to Mary's song. And then secondly, we're going to see how the messenger in Isaiah 61 is the Messiah and how that connects to Luke 4. And then thirdly, we're going to see how Mary's song is proclaiming the Messiah as a just Savior. And then lastly, we'll take some time to see how Mary's song is a song for us. And so first, let's take a look at this connection between Mary's song and the book of Isaiah. Now, as I was studying this this past week, I noticed as I was reading some different scholars on this, how the whole book of Isaiah in some ways could be reflected in Mary's song. And so allow me to to highlight Because in Luke 1, verses 46 to 49, Mary sings about her lowly condition and the great blessing of giving birth to the Messiah. Well, in some ways, that mirrors chapters 1 through 12 of Isaiah. And then we see in verses 50 to 53, Mary is singing about God's mighty acts of mercy and his judgment. Well, that mirrors in some ways Isaiah 13 through chapters 39. And then thirdly, as Mary wraps up her song, she sings about God helping his people in remembrance of his promises to save them. And in many ways, that mirrors Isaiah 40 to chapters 66. So I just want to highlight how Mary's song in some ways is pointing to a connection to the book of Isaiah and even specifically Isaiah 61 in one spot, as we'll see. And so what we're going to look at is how Mary's song, it places herself and Israel as the blessed recipient of the good news about this messenger Messiah who now resides in her belly. And Isaiah's prediction of rejoicing is not only for his immediate listeners, not just Isaiah and whoever Isaiah is prophesying to, or maybe later people reading the Isaiah scroll as they're exiled in Babylon. But hundreds of years later, these are words for Mary and words for all of Israel because of the arrival of Messiah Jesus. And I want us to believe that there's a message for us today, just as God used this message from Isaiah for Mary that it would be for you. Now, I want to take a look at Isaiah 61. So if you flip back there with me, you can have your finger there to go back and forth. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, in the Hebrew language... The Messiah means the anointed one. And what we're going to see is that Jesus' sermon in Luke 4 quotes Isaiah 61. So now I'm sending you back to Luke. I'm going to head there too. In Luke 4, where Jesus enters this synagogue and in verse 18, what does he say? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
See, what Jesus is saying in this sermon, in this synagogue, in fact, it's in Nazareth, his hometown, as he goes back there, he tells his maybe friends and family who knew him as just a regular guy, and he says, Isaiah was talking about me. I mean, pretty radical thing. Isaiah is talking about me. Jesus is saying he's the fulfillment of all that Isaiah predicted about this messenger, Messiah, to come. And then Jesus continues. And then he says, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you take a look at Isaiah 61... It says, for he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So if you're paying attention, the thing that you'll notice is that Jesus misquotes Isaiah 61. Jesus made a mistake. Did you guys know that? Just kidding. Don't write me letters. I'm going to explain it. Okay. Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes is different than from your Bible, most likely. It starts off the same and then it shifts. The clause, recovery of the sight to the blind, and some other words, aren't in our version of Isaiah 61. Or or is it in there somewhere? Now, I want you to keep this in mind. The New Testament authors, they're writing in Greek. We have an English translation from the Greek manuscript. Greek was the, the, the language of the world at that time. And so these Hebrew writers in the New Testament were writing in Greek. And so what is known is that from that time, often you have New Testament writers quoting from the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. Not the Hebrew, but from the Greek one. And the Greek one's called the Septuagint. Now, that could have meant a couple different things. It could have meant that that scroll sitting in that synagogue in Nazareth, perhaps it was a Greek scroll, the Septuagint. I think it was probably a Hebrew scroll. But either way, what we're looking at is there is a history and a tradition of a particular translation that was very common in the first century when Jesus lived. And it probably sounded and looked a lot like something that we call today the Septuagint. And... What we can think about then is probably somewhere in that time, there might be two different, slightly different versions of the Hebrew scriptures that exist with slightly different words. This particular scroll at this time has the version that we think Jesus is simply reading from. It's a version of Isaiah 61 that includes the recovery of the sight to the blind. And so the question you should ask is, well, why are there two slightly different versions of the Hebrew Scriptures? But that's for another sermon, in fact. The point is this. Not only does Isaiah 61 allude to Mary, and there's different ways that it does, Mary's song, but it also points to Jesus as the fulfillment of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 61 is a very special text The book of Isaiah is very special to the gospel writers and maybe in some ways particularly to Luke for our purposes. And so I want to see what this 
Messiah messenger will look like as we keep reading Isaiah 61, and then we'll come back to Luke 4 in a little bit. Let's take a look at Isaiah 61 again and see what Isaiah says, what this coming messenger Messiah will look like. It says, he will bring good news to the poor, for he, God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be Glorified. I'll just pause there. The, the rest of the text we'll touch on in a bit. I want you to notice how this messenger Messiah, Isaiah predicts, will bind up the broken. He's going to lift up those who are low. And so to be thinking about this, that actions follow the preaching of God's salvation. It's not just a word of truth to hear. It's a truth to live. Jesus initiates his ministry with these very words. And so we see this, that the Messiah is sent to proclaim good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance, and to comfort all who are mourned. As you continue to read this text, he's going to provide for those who grieve. He's going to bestow beauty and joy and praise in place of ashes, in place of mourning, in place of despair. And so here's this. The good news is that their current situation, to those reading Isaiah 61, which is characterized by oppression and sorrow and bondage, it's going to change. And again, I see hints of Isaiah 61 in Mary's song. So I'm going to go back to Luke 1 for just a minute. Verse 51. In Luke 1, 51, this is what Mary says. He, the Lord, has shown strength with his arm, but which, by the way, is a very common phrase in Isaiah. It's talking about the mighty arm of the sovereign Lord. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. There are echoes of Isaiah 61 in Mary's Magnificat. And we see even Isaiah 61, specifically verses 8 and 9, where it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make them an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the, all the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. See, God is going to restore biblical justice and righteousness. The broken places will be built up. And this promise is fulfilled through the first coming of Jesus. And it'll be fully realized when Jesus returns to establish God's kingdom. And what I see is that Mary is proclaiming that Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled in this baby that she's carrying. Good news for the poor. The brokenhearted 
are cared for. The freedom for captives, the year of the Lord's favor, a day of godly justice, comforting all who mourn. And so we just pause in this Christmas season and say, oh, that's what Christmas is about. Last week we said, comfort, comfort my people. And as we gather here today and we are in need of comfort, there's a God of comfort here. As we gather today and we hear stories of people who need comfort, God is our resource to bring that comfort. Are you willing to be God's love incarnate to someone in need this week? The story goes, there was a wealthy businessman and he was well known for being ruthless and unethical. And this businessman told Mark Twain that before he died, he wanted to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He was a Christian man. He said when he got there, he wanted to climb to the top of Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments and there read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. And then Mark Twain, as only he can do with his typical wit, he says, you know, you could instead stay in Boston and try to keep the commandments. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get so much of God's word in us here. We never let it get here. and We never express it with our hands and our feet. It's not enough just to know. Jesus says, well, even the demons believe and they shudder. Oh, it's living a life of Jesus has modeled for us. Jesus says, freely you have received, now freely give. Whom can you bring the good news of Jesus to this Advent? In word and in action. The good news for those in need. I want to see as well how you see Mary's song proclaimed the Messiah as this just Savior, like Isaiah 61 says. We look in Luke 1, again, verses 46 to 47. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see, to keep a reminder in the midst of her sense of blessedness, her people and herself, they lived under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And we know that Isaiah predicted a change would happen. Isaiah 61, verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Verse 5. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. Verse 6, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Verse 7, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Isaiah is predicting so much joy, not only for his people exiled in Babylon who are going to be released to return to Jerusalem, these devastated people, but that joy is predicted for Mary's people in her time through this just Messiah. Joy. 
And we think about the angel's word to Mary about a kingdom to come that also matches Isaiah's prophecy. I'm going to go back to verse, Luke 1, verse 30. In Luke 1, verse 30, the angel said, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. There's great favor upon you. Just like Isaiah 61 predicts favor upon Zion, favor on Israel, I believe Mary's song emanates it out to her hundreds of years later. Favor upon you, Mary. Favor upon your people in this day and age, under the oppression of the Roman Empire, underneath all of the oppression that has brought poverty and all kinds of injustice, all kinds of bad news. Favor to you. And in Luke 1, verse 30, the angel says, do not be afraid, verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pause for a second. First century that Jesus was living I want you to think about how the Roman Empire thought of Caesar. Caesar was called a savior. That was his word. Caesar's victories were declared the gospel, the good news, the euangelion, same word in the Bible. Caesar's kingdom claimed to bring worldwide peace. Remember the Pax Romana? But Mary sings of a new Lord who is the true Savior. And the angel declares a kingdom that is new under a true Lord, and his name is Jesus. Are you catching what God is doing here in Luke chapter 1? There's a real and true Lord on the scene. This is radical stuff. In fact, Nazi resistor Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Mary's song the most passionate the wildest, one might say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. Bonhoeffer, executed 12 years later by the Nazis, added, this is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of Christmas carols. It instead is a hard, strong, inexorable song about collapsing thrones and humbled lords of this world. See, Bonhoeffer is right. Mary's song was no ordinary Christmas carol. It's a powerful and subversive declaration that there's no other name that will bring true peace. So why do we look to any other lords for true peace? Not being a Democrat or a Republican or even a Libertarian. Not putting your trust in gold or in cryptocurrency not in religion or irreligion, not even in trying to make this world a better place, as good as that is, it will never give you the peace you're looking for. There's no Lord, even today. There's only one who can. Only in Jesus will the bad things you've done get forgiven and the good things you've done get remembered. Only in Jesus. Our friend Bob is making a difference in this world, planting seeds, But it's only because he does it in Jesus that anything he or I or you do will have lasting good impact for eternity. Amen? Amen. It's only in Jesus 
Do your bad things get forgotten and your good things get remembered? It's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus that there's ultimate justice that makes all the wrongs of the world finally become right once and for all. You know, there's not permanent goodness outside of life with Jesus. And every human being knows that the poverty and hunger and greed and racism and sickness and hate, that should not be the last word, even though sometimes we wake up and it feels like it's having the last word, doesn't it? But in Jesus, it's not true. The Bible says Jesus will get the last word, death will be banished, and life eternal will spring forth because of this baby in Mary's belly that she's singing about. This is the messenger Messiah who lifts up the downtrodden. And so let me say that Mary's song can be yours. Let's take a look at her words one last time. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, I'd like to think Mary maybe even sung it. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let's pause there. Not only is she saying that she will be blessed, but in verse 55, the remembrance is, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, all these good things are for all who put trust in Jesus. That Mary's song can be yours in some way. It's meant from generation to generation to be a blessing to you. The Savior has come. Have you received him? Have you welcomed him in? See, Christians can relish in the fact that God himself has come near. John 1.14. I love how the gospel writer John begins his powerful gospel, very unique gospel in John 1.14, he says, And the word, which John is saying is Jesus the Messiah messenger, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's been made flesh. The eternal Son of God chose to put skin on so he can come close to humanity. The word became flesh not only because he had to do it in order to welcome us home, but because, as I often say, he wanted to do it. He wanted to come near. And even though you might be tempted today to doubt God's love for you, to doubt God's nearest, to get, doubt God's care for you, because of all the bad news in the world, there's a greater word. Isaiah 61 has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled in Jesus, even though you might be tempted to doubt God's love, I want you to remember this. Jesus could have stayed on his throne, but instead he chose to come. He could have kept his distance. He could have looked away, but he didn't. He left his throne. He came down. He bridged the distance between a holy God and sinful humanity. And he chose the limitations of a human body so he could come up close and look squarely into the face of brokenness and say, it will not be so forever. Someone here today needs to hear that. Jesus is looking at you 
and looking you squarely in the eye and saying, it will not be so forever. Trust in me. Isaiah 7, 14. Another Isaiah illusion. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We'll talk more about this next week. Emmanuel, as many of you know, God with us. Or as John 1.14 says, God in the flesh. Or I'd say, God with skin on. So that you would know all the sad things will not be like this forever. He did it for Mary. He came near in her belly. He'll do it for you. He'll come near. You know, Isaiah 9, 6 reminds us, it says this prediction about this Messiah, Emmanuel, for us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This baby, Emmanuel, God come near, God with skin on, somehow is God himself. And though Jesus will return to judge all of humanity, he is like no other judge that this world has ever seen. For this judge took upon his own judgment on the cross. No one else can do that for you. Declaring on the cross that all who would confess their sins as forgiven all who'd place their faith in him. God welcomes home into their family. God came to a young Middle Eastern girl named Mary 2,000 years ago to deliver good news. And that same powerful spirit is here today to declare to you, good news for you, Emmanuel is in the room. Do you believe it? Have you received it? I'm going to close with a story. A missionary friend of mine who works in the Middle East reports that she, as a missionary amongst Muslims, she keeps meeting Muslim women who miraculously are encountering Jesus directly. I just got this story the other day from her. And she told a story about a, a Bedouin girl. It's a tribe within the, a particular nation, which I won't mention for safety reasons. But this Bedouin girl, she met and it was years later that she met my friend. But as a young girl, this girl at seven years old was walking in a park, a Muslim girl, and suddenly she sees a light on the ground in this park, and it was a cross, I believe. And then she heard a voice that said this. Imagine, this is a Muslim girl in a closed Muslim nation. It says, I am God. It wasn't until decades later that she made a clear profession of faith in Christ. And that's when she met my friend. And then she found out that her sister had secretly become a Christian. Again, this is all without even a Christian witness. They didn't have our friend Bob there at that time to tell her about Jesus. So Jesus came directly to her and doing the same thing for members of her family. And my friend, the missionary, is just marveling at the graciousness of God because she keeps meeting more Muslim men and women in this nation she is serving and around the world who are encountering Jesus. And so I just want to tell you, we think it's impossible that God would send an angel, Gabriel, and announce this word to a young Middle Eastern girl named Mary 2,000 years ago. It's still happening today. He's still coming near. 
And he'll come near to you too. I can't promise you it'll be in that same way. I just want you to know the story's true. Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.12, Jesus says, yet to all who did receive him, this is what John says about this Lord Savior, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is still coming to those right here among us, and he's calling us to take up our cross and to follow him. Lord, would you join me in a prayer? Oh, Lord, we want to say with Mary, after she received this visitation from the angel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Oh, Jesus, we declare ourselves your servants. We declare ourselves people open to be used by you to share good news to a world in need, especially to the poor and the downtrodden and the hurting. May we look like you, Jesus, in the way we live our life. Lord, help us to live out in freedom the love that you've given us. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.